welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And sadly, today we are finishing The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Well, it's sad for me, but it's also exciting to move on to something new. It's not sad for me. I'm <laughs> I'm excited to move on to the next series. But for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. I was new to this series, but now I've read them, and I have a lot of thoughts. Well, I can't wait to hear those and see how you felt about this book in particular, The Last Battle, since this is the end of the whole series. Well, for the last time, I'll go ahead and summarize the plot, and then I'll give you my impression before we dive in. So we have Shift the Ape forces Puzzle the Donkey to dress as Aslan the Lion, and he then starts forcing the Narnians to do all sorts of terrible things in the name of Prophet. The king, Tyrion, calls on the friends of Narnia, and Eustace and Jill come to help Tyrion fight off the ape and the Calarmines. Everything goes badly because everyone believes that they have angered Aslan, and they enter a huge final battle in which, one by one, they all get flung into a stable. Once in the stable, all of our characters from all seven books are there, and Aslan says this is his country and that they are all here forever and ever. And that's the summary. There's a lot more detail that we'll go into throughout the episode, but just for my impression, I did enjoy this book more at first, or not necessarily enjoy, but I was definitely more invested because I was honestly getting angry with how easily the Narnians were being tricked. So I was definitely intrigued more than I was in the last book. But with how the book ended, I can officially confirm that I would not recommend these books and I did not like them because I ultimately just don't agree with the message it puts out. I think that's my final idea, which will obviously go more into depth throughout the episode for why that is. Yeah, I can't wait to hear all that. For me, this one is just, it's really emotional. I think as we get through the episode, there's going to be a lot of moments when I'm like, wow, this moment always makes me sad. What I will say, though, is that I don't feel like I have to read this again anytime soon. I will definitely read it again. It's nostalgic for me. It's part of my childhood. As I've mentioned, I have a lot of like sense memories of listening to the audiobook in the car with my family. But I don't need to read this book again for a while because... It's just, it's younger, and I don't need to, like, read it that often. So diving in, like you said, we have Shift and Puzzle, and Shift makes a lion cloak and forces Puzzle to act like Aslan. So that's the first chapter, and obviously, super bad idea. You shouldn't, you know, pretend to be a god. And Shift is clearly super evil, but honestly, Puzzle's stupidity and ignorance is more concerning to me and more dangerous because then he can be so easily manipulated and it's him being able to be manipulated is basically the reason why everything happens. Totally true. Totally true. And we're going to see that develop. So then we meet the last king of Narnia, who's King Tyrion, and his best friend, the unicorn Jewel. And they find out that Aslan's orders are to fell the talking trees, so knock them down, and use talking horses for labor 
which obviously is not at all what they, from what they've always heard of Aslan, not what he's supposed to be like. Yes, and this is where, like I said, I started to get angry because Tyrion and Jules' blind faith in Aslan is stupid, honestly. Like, they know that Aslan would never order the murders of the dryads and their trees and would never turn talking horses into slaves. So instead of, you know, questioning him, like, they're just kind of blindly following Aslan, which is where I feel like people do blindly follow religious leaders, even when they know they're doing something wrong. And to me, that's why, like, sometimes I don't understand organized religion or take issue with it because you shouldn't just it shouldn't just be about following one person's orders it should be about you know standing up for what's right and like learning good versus bad and I just didn't understand here or not that I didn't understand but I was angry that they wouldn't question Aslan's actions here I I totally understood why they didn't it's a children's story it's part of the plot but I just that really annoyed me and because if Aslan, you know, is this good leader, he should be okay with being questioned. And, you know, that's what keeps bad people from being in charge, which is ultimately what happens because no one questions Aslan's authority. Well, also, like, I mean, Tyrion and Jewel, they question it. They're like, this can't be right. But it's really all the other creatures. Like, they see fake Aslan. It's nothing like what they've heard. It's not fulfilling it's not good they can see that what he's saying is hurtful and like they believe without like they they follow like it's really personally i think it's the other creatures that are more of a problem because they because Tyrion and jewel they go to investigate because they're like this doesn't really seem like the aslan we were told of but everyone else is like yep i see something yellow gotta be it like Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's also, I was just ultimately angry over the idea of, again, which is my issue with it is, to me, there just shouldn't be systems in place where that can even happen. Like, you should just not have enough faith in anyone to just be like, oh, they did something bad? Well, it's Aslan, so we always trust what he does. I think that's ultimately, like, what I have an issue with, of that, like, is a system that shouldn't exist. Sure. That makes sense. So, Tyrion turns himself over because he wants to investigate, he wants to meet meet this Aslan. And the ape says that the Narnians are supposed to become Kalorman slaves. Well, that their money is going to go to him. So yes, they're going to be slaves. And this, to your point a second ago, for me, with the animals, they were very stupid, which is also why I'm saying of, to me, the system shouldn't be in place because I feel like we shouldn't rely so much on people not being stupid because people are stupid. But they obviously aren't that intelligent because they think when Shift, the ape, says that he's a man, they believe him, even though he clearly looks like an ape and they know what an ape is. So, like, to me at this point, I was like, these talking beasts are clearly not that intelligent. And, you know, maybe this is our reason why humans have to rule Narnia and the talking beasts are not allowed to because they're you're just like, the ape said he's a man, we accept it. Well, also, like, he's literally an ape. They all know he's an ape. And then he starts telling them a bunch of... So they know he's lying on one thing. Then he starts telling them some things about Aslan that make no sense. And they're like, but we're going to believe that. I'm like, you literally know he's a liar. (sighs) Well, the argument is, I think, that when 
the other animals, they see the fake Aslan, and because in this time period, I guess, they've never seen him, and I guess, like you said, Aslan's the only lion that exists, apparently, so I think it's mentioned that, like, they've never seen a lion before. Yeah, it's mentioned, but it's so stupid. I mean, still, you have to be quite gullible and not very intelligent to accept it, but clearly they must not be super intelligent. Well, that's stupid. And then another thing that Shift starts saying is that Tash, who is the god of the Kalormans, is Aslan. Which, again, these creatures are supposed to believe in Aslan, but they can't believe in Aslan and also believe that he's the same as Tash, because they're supposed to be literal opposites. So I get frustrated with this book because the deception is obvious, and this is where it feels like it's a younger audience book, that, like... Even though they're talking beasts, they're supposed to be, like, equivalent to people. And the people that will be reading this are younger. And, like, as a kid, it bothered me less. I mean, it's always bothered me. But, like, as an adult, it really bothers me because the deception is so freaking obvious to me that I'm, like, this is... It's hard to read because, like, how is this happening? Yeah, well... Again, you're an intelligent person, and a lot of people are not intelligent, which is why, again, I think it's the the system is really the issue for me. Like, there shouldn't be something in place where people have blind faith in a person or being because it sets you up to easily be taken advantage of. And yeah, this is, at, this is only 40 pages in at this point in the book, and I was already like, I'm so angry. I hate this. But at least I was invested. So... Not to keep rehashing, so Tyrion prays to Aslan and the children from the other world. And then he has a dream, and he sees the seven friends of Narnia, and they're eating dinner. Which, hold up, wait a minute, because what happened to Susan? Peter says there's only seven friends of Narnia, and Eustace names everyone off, which it's him, Jill, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, Diggory, and Polly. So, why wasn't Susan with them? Like... I remember in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, she had went back to America, or she had went to America. Like, did she never come back, or did she just stop believing in Narnia altogether? Well, you're going to get the answer in the end, but, yeah, I always never liked that. The first time, I, I remember the first time I read this book, I was like, you're missing someone, but. Well, I immediately noticed it, and I was like, I, they're definitely going to have to give an explanation, which they will, but we'll save it to the end, because I have a big point to go with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Jill and Eustace come, and they were going to use the rings that Polly and Diggory used, but they didn't need them because they were on a train, they saw Eminem and Peter, they felt this, like, jerk, and then they were in Narnia. Asia, did you know what that was when they describe it there? The train? Okay, well, I guess since everyone has read the whole book at this point, we can it's not a spoiler, but at the end it's revealed that they all died in a train trash. And right then, even, like, Jill and Eustace are like, it almost felt like this. But no, because we were in Narnia. But, well, like... it did sound like... Well, because it was different. I mean, I think when they, they explained how they kind of arrived and they said, like, normally, like, how they, like, walked through a portal that was open, like, it was like they got jerked and then they just were, like, thrown into Narnia. It was much more sudden, so he definitely, like, questioned that. I didn't come but you didn't to any they were sort dead. of... I didn't think they were dead until later on, near the, like, end of the battle, when, like, things were looking bad, that I was like, they're going to die here. And I was like, if 
when I think it's when like Jill and Eustace like they say like Tyrion King Tyrion's like you guys should go home like you guys aren't Narnians you shouldn't have to die for this and they're like there is no way home like we have Aslan would have to send us home and so I was getting hit like if they die in battle like they might already be dead in their world like and we just haven't realized gotcha. it yet and I was just interested to know if you figured out that they die in a train car it's kind of hard to tell this first time. I didn't figure it out this early on, but I did figure yeah. it out before, I assumed before we were told. I came to that conclusion. Gotcha. And then here we go. This is where the racism that we've been looking for in all the books comes from. Yeah, this is what I wrote down, which I only really wrote down one thing, and then I just tried to ignore it the rest of the time. But I just put down that, well, now we know why they haven't made this book into a movie, because Tyrion, Eustace, and Jill literally put on blackface on their whole bodies to disguise themselves as Calamines. And some of the things they said during that section, there's just no way that can be put into a movie. So... Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, one of the things Tyrion says, like, when they wash it off the next day, he says, I feel like a real man again. Like, oh, God, it's, yeah, like, it's straight up. Which, for me, I also say, because I know Charles has mentioned throughout, like, the racism, and I haven't really commented on that much, I feel like, throughout the series, and I say because this is something, like, this book was written in, like, the 1950s, so this was more, like, considered acceptable, so... I am not, I don't take as much issue with that in the sense of, obviously, you read this, you identify that it's wrong, move on. Whereas, I was just going to say, just kind of preface for later on, I have a much bigger issue with the whole message of the story, to me, that I feel is a bigger issue, because to me, I think kids reading this book today, if they read this, they talked about it with their parents, like, the parents would obviously be like, we don't do blackface, like, we don't talk badly about people based off of their race, like, stuff like that. That's super easy to be, like, you don't do that. Like, that can easily, like, be corrected, and, like, kids, I feel like, aren't going to pick up that from this book, but the message that it gives off, I feel like, is more problematic. So that's why, to me, I haven't really commented on it, because to me, it's just showing the time the time of the book. I would agree. I, di- I, I mean, also, as listeners know, you're a person of color. I am not. I, you know, it's white people's jobs to be much more sensitive towards racial issues because we are guilty of them. But I totally agree with you that it's not really, like, like we've discussed, I don't think C.S. Lewis was what nowadays we would consider, like, a racist, like someone who wants to go on a rampage and kill people of color. He's absolutely writing of the, what, like, his social yeah, I mean, class. we don't know that, but yes. We don't know I don't, that, that's I, true. I totally understand what you mean. I'm saying the book does not saying, say that. Like, and that's like why, book, to me, like, we've recognized it, but to me, that is not my biggest issue with the books. <laughs> oh, I, I can totally accept that. I just, I wanted to make a note, because obviously we're recording this in the 2022, 21st century, and in case there was any confusion, don't do blackface, it's racist. Yes. So, moving on, right after this, <laughs> right after this, we have, like, a scene where they're, like, going to sleep, and I guess Tyrion says that because he's an experienced warrior and a huntsman, he can just wake up on command when he wants. Like, he never oversleeps. Like, he says he's able to fall asleep immediately, which, like, that's not 
that is still like some magic, but that's not as unheard of. But the fact that he can like go to sleep and be like, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. in the morning. And then he just wakes up. No alarm, nothing. And I was just like, what kind of witchcraft is this? Like, is he magical? That was just like a random detail thrown in there. It definitely feels like one of those things that like C.S. Lewis heard as a boy that like really experienced hunters can control when they wake up. And like, obviously that's not, I, I mean, Show us the data. Maybe there's scientific proof that this is true. You, I was but like, like, do you think that's real? But it's but they're probably like he probably had an uncle who could do that. You know, like it's probably something like he heard that in like his experiences as a child, and like he probably met one person who like maybe one person who naturally woke up at seven a.m. every day, and I guess like in the olden days, obviously like before alarm clock and stuff like people probably just like rose with the sun. It's so, like you felt like the light hit you, and like that kind of naturally woke you up. Yeah. But, but I like, can't imagine I don't think it's like a, an day. actual thing that, like, experienced warriors, like, I don't think the U.S. military doesn't need alarm clocks to get up, you know? Like, I think... No. But I, I think mean, it's probably that he heard that once, and he's like, I'm gonna throw this as an anecdote in the book, you know? That's, like, what it feels yeah. like to me. I just thought it was funny, because I was like, imagine, that would be such a nice power to have. That's a superpower I would want. Yeah. So, they go back to the stable, and they get Jewel and Puzzle, and Poggin the Dwarf. And I wrote down two things here, because at this point, I was thinking that it's perfectly reasonable for the dwarves to be questioning their faith after being tricked by a fake Aslan, because at this point, the dwarves basically are saying that they're for the dwarves. They don't want to go back with King Tyrion and be on, like, the real Aslan side. And I think that that's totally fair, because they've ultimately been tricked, and so now they're a little worried. It is a little bit extreme. It's like going to the opposite end of having like healthy skepticism versus like totally questioning everything. Yeah, they're a little nihilistic. They're like yeah. So they've kind of like matters. gone all the way to we the end of the spectrum. We can't trust a literal thing. Which again, I feel like is sending a bad message because it's idea of oh, if you question like the only way to question like authority is to like go all the way to the other side where like you're completely radical and like totally against and like gone off like your hinges a little bit which is just not true but again I do think it's a good idea to you know reconsider whether having like a complete devotion to something that they don't even know is real is like a good thing because they've never seen Aslan in the fr- in the flesh like that's pretty much described that like the Narnians of this time like Aslan doesn't come around all the time they've never met him they've never seen him all they do is talk about them which is the idea of you know religion we talk about god no one's ever seen god and unless you live 2000 years like, ago I feel like there should be an allowance for skepticism but they didn't need to go all the way to the end so it was kind of like the extreme version of that which again is like to me a bad thing But then the second thing I wrote down was that Puzzle, you know, like I said, with his ignorance, he's part of the problem. And Jill is, like, defending him, saying that, you know, it was a mistake. And, like, I do not think that she should be defending his stupidity as a mistake. Like, his ignorance is dangerous and was dangerous and actually affected a lot of people negatively. It got people killed. It got Narnia taken over. Like, it is not a mistake. Like... Oh, yeah. I just... Well, that... Oh, yeah. He... Yeah, Jill's forgiveness. Like, honestly, everyone's forgiveness. Like, when Jill says it, I'm like, well, we should just tell her she's wrong. But everyone's like, okay. Like, Jill... Eustace says, like, if you spend all the time telling yourself that you're not clever, 
just try, like, if you spent all the time you were saying that, just trying to be smart, literally the world would be better off, but. Yep. <sighs> but when he sat, when he sass his puzzle is the last fun thing, because when from there, the whole book, we just are on our downhill, like, and downward spiral. So first, they see the real Tash. So Tash is like a, a crow or an eagle. Is an evil demon. And of course, because he's the opposite of Aslan, he is foul and gross. And he's come to Narnia to take punishment, to punish the false believers. Because again, his citizens, the Kalormans, are also kind of just like playing willy-nilly with their faith. So, and then, even worse, they find out that the Kalormans have taken care of Paravel. They killed Rune with the centaur. They killed basically everyone that was supposed to come help the Narnians take the stable. So essentially they're all doomed because the Kalormans have the whole country conquered. They're going to go back to the stable and try to round the Narnians who are there, but they're kind of like... They, like, deep down they know it's kind of over. They're kind of screwed. Yeah. They're wholeheartedly screwed. And from this point until, like, more towards the end, I didn't really have any notes until they end up going through the stable door. But this is... You have no notes on what is literally the last battle? That's what the book is called. Nope. I mean, it wasn't really that much of a battle. I just wanted to know how it was going to turn out. Like, people were just slowly dying, as you said. They were doomed. I just wanted to know exactly how it was going to happen. Okay, well... I've got some heartbreak moments that I want to mention, because this is, like, when I'm always like, oh, this book is sad. So, for one, Shift tricks him, because he says that the fake Aslan is a donkey in a lion's skin. So, basically, he ruins their plan, and this breaks my heart every time, because, like, when I, you know, as an adult, I can tell, like, when the Kalormans take care of Parabelle, it's over. As a kid, I didn't really get that, because, you know, yeah. you just think about the main characters. You're kind of just like, I'm with the characters. They're alive. We're good. But from this moment, when the character main characters lose the hope, that's when it would always sink into me as a child. Like, this is when I would give up, because I'm like, they have no leverage at all. I mean, yeah, I definitely think once King Tyrion was having, like, the thoughts of there's no hope, I was like, he's the adult. Adult essentially here in the room and he thinks they have no hope there's no hope like and that's why for me I just wasn't really taking notes because I was waiting for the end to see like what exactly was going to happen like is Aslan going to show up and save them like he's done in every other book like when they get into a really bad or like are they going to die are they already dead like well at least for like Jill and Eustace who aren't from Narnia like it was just that's where I was at that point so I was just waiting okay well Another moment, again, this is where we're talking about, like, by our current 21st century standards, this would definitely be considered racist, so do not say this, but the dwarves start calling um, the Kalormans darkies, which is, again, as Asia said... (laughs) Just not good. (laughs) Just not good. This is, like, so clearly written by a white man in the 1950s. But see, I didn't even write anything down for this one, because I was like, if people think that this is okay to say, like... I don't think that anyone thinks it's okay I mean, to say, kids, and I definitely don't yeah, think anyone who to clear, listens to our show yeah. thinks it's okay to say. Like, like I don't think anyone who listens to our show, which is a show about reading, <laughs> would think that it's okay. But just in case you did, 
they're wrong, and by our current 2022 standards, that would be completely inappropriate to say. So don't say it. And then this is, um, you know, one of those moments when I like the series as a series, because the beasts, they start going into the stable to prove that Tashlan is there. So the cat goes in, because it's all part of his, like, plan to prove that Tashlan is there. And he comes up, but he's no longer able to talk. Like, he goes back to being a dumb beast. And do you remember when Aslan tells them in The Magician's Nephew, in the very first book, he's like, if you act a certain way, you will lose your ability to speak. And that happens. And I'm like, I really like that as a reader, that, like, we really get that beginning-to-end callback. Like, it's not just an idle threat. It actually happens. Now, if we take that anti-Christian or the Christian view of this, it's probably more that the cat has worshipped a false idol. The cat has worshipped fake Tash, Tashlan, and he's perverted his faith, and that's why he loses his humanity or his ability to speak. Which I think is fair, because he sucked, but I know at this point, too, I was still like, because it was unclear whether the cat was possibly faking it, because like, clearly they seem to have had some sort of plan for like, sending people into the stable to, like, scare the Narnians. So, and he was the first one to go in. So at this point, based on the reaction, it seemed genuine and real. Like, he lost his ability to talk, ran away, was just a normal cat. But I wasn't for sure yet of whether that wasn't a trick yet. Oh. Well, anyway. Like, I was pretty sure, but since he was the first one, I was like, well, let's see what happens to the next person. So, okay. Um, one more low light in the battle is that the dwarves kill all the talking horses. And, like, that always just breaks my heart. But, clearly no reaction from Asia. And one by one, they end up in the stable. They lose the battle, they end up in the stable. Yes. Well, with the dwarves killing the talking horses, again, to me, that was showing that, like, the dwarves are questioning their faith, and they're the bad guys for doing that. Because now they've killed innocent talking horses because they want to prevent either side of winning which is basically like they want anarchy like they just want to they just want to every man for themselves i guess which like doesn't make any sense which is just showing the opposite extreme but yes then the battle i wasn't bored but i was just like again i was i was waiting for the next thing like what was going to happen were they going to survive well they go in and Tash shows up, and he takes Rish to Tarkon. He's the leader of the Tar- of the Kalormans. He eats him alive, and he goes away. And they're like, okay, bye. And that's kind of the end of him. And then the seven friends of Narnia are there, and they welcome Tyrion. So, again, we have the seven friends. So now they've, like, appeared here. And... Oh, we should mention, they're like... They thought they were in a stable, but they're actually, like, in the most beautiful countryside ever. It kind of looks like Narnia. Like, it's perfect. Everything is amazing. So, this is at the point when I was like, they must be dead. Also because, like, Tyrion gets put, like, goes in there, but Jill was still outside, but all of a sudden she's in there too. And he had said that she assumed she got, like, dragged away and killed. So, I didn't know she'd been killed right then and, like, had appeared. But once I saw... Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and also Polly and Diggory are young. I was like, they're all dead. Like, they must all be dead because, like, that 
logically doesn't make any sense. And, like, yes, we know time passes differently in Narnia, but at least Diggory and Polly should be... But it doesn't go backwards. Yeah, they can't go backwards. They should be well-aged. And this is when I was assuming... This was at the point that I was like, they must all have died. Like, this must be the end of Narnia, and, like, everybody's going to die, including them. And they're going to heaven, to Aslan's country. But, again, we're back to the seven friends... This is when I was like, so Susan must not be a friend of Narnia anymore, um, which Peter does explain this, and basically, it's so like, she's not a friend of Narnia anymore, which I'm assuming is the idea saying, like, she gave up on religion. Yeah, well, I mean, they literally say she stopped believing in Narnia, and which, you know, is pretty close to she stopped believing in God, and yeah, they... This is one of the moments when the book is considered, like, people say it's sexist that she gives up on faith because she, like, is, like, focused on vanity and, like, nylons and lipstick and, like, getting to be a young adult and then wanting to stay a young adult forever. And I'm like, I don't really feel like that's particularly sexist. Maybe I'm wrong. But, like, I feel like, I feel like it's more that she's... I could say it could be sexist for the time, obviously, because, like, nowadays, like, anybody can wear makeup, well, but, like, back then it was a female I mean, to it, me, like, it's more that the problem with Susan is not that she's feminine, it's that she's vain. Like, the reason you're not supposed to like Susan is not because she's a woman or because she's doing female things, it's because she's focused on appearances. Like... But I feel like... Like, I feel like saying that women shouldn't fight in battles is a more sexist attitude than saying that, like... She cares about makeup. Yeah, I guess it's... I People would see it as sexist because, like, in this time period, like, women are the only people who wear makeup. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it's an issue that they only they can have. But to me, no, I wouldn't necessarily consider it sexist. To me, it's like the idea of she gave up on religion and, like, they're hating on her for that. Like, yes, it's because That's of the vanity and stuff. But no, I wouldn't necessarily consider this specifically sexist. Uh, but I could see how maybe like, it could have been commented reading... on that way. But I... Yeah. I understand what you're saying. But the commentary is much more about the fact that she stops believing. The reason she's not a friend anymore is not because she cares about appearances. It's because she stops Which believing. Which, I gotta just give her a round of applause. Good job, Susan. You're the only character I like in the end. And I'll explain that in depth at the end of the episode. Oh, well, we gotta get there. So, so, if it wasn't obvious, this is the end of the world... And this is Aslan's country. He comes and he tries to talk to the dwarves. And this is where we get the real thesis of the whole book. So they are, they are like, visualizing that they're inside the stable, even though they're in this afterlife place. And he tries to talk to them and they ignore him. And Aslan literally says, they have chosen cunning over belief. So that's clearly the thesis of what's going on. So, yeah, again, pretty on the nose. The dwarves basically have gone totally to the under, other end of the spectrum that they've completely questioned everything at an extreme level. So now they can't see anything. So, I mean, I would say they've chosen cutting. I mean, they literally killed, like, people on both sides. So they're definitely, like, not in a good spot. But then after this, it's Judgment Day because Aslan is shutting down Narnia. And he opens up this giant doorway, basically, where all of the animals and creatures from Narnia are streaming into the new, like, this beautiful country that they're standing in. And he's kind of splitting them on, like, 
the the heaven side and the hell side. So like the people, he says the animals that show up and like have anger on their faces, they go to the left to the side of hell and they disappear. And the ones that even times that show they disappear forever. No one knows what happens to them. They just vanish. They just cease to exist. There is no explanation as to what happens to them. And then on the heaven side, they get to come into the pretty country and Tyrion says on the heaven side how a bunch of his friends that he thought were dead show up, including the centaur, like a whole bunch of people that we've mentioned that we have been told that they're dead. And this is where I was 100% sure that they're all dead. Like, Tyrion, I guess, hasn't made this connection yet. So, obviously, a lot of his friends that he thought were dead before, them showing up in this new beautiful country, like, I would think that, you know, maybe I'm dead too, but... Maybe that's harder to come to that conclusion. But, yes, so at this point, I was like, they must all be dead. The Pevensey children, Eustace, Jill, all of them must have died in the, at least the Pevensey children. No, and Eustace and Jill, they were on the train. They must have died in the, like, train accident. And because, again, the description was that, like, the train was, like, about to take a quick bend, and then they were thrown into Narnia. And then Peter... And Edmund, I think, kind of say something similar. Like, they were standing there. Yeah, they're like, that train was coming in way too fast. And they said the train was coming in way too fast. This is when I was like, this has to be what happened. Also, because they say, like, all the other times they've entered Narnia, like, it's been, like, pretty gentle. Like, not like, they said they felt like a huge, like, bang. Like, they felt like they were thrown. And then all of a sudden they didn't feel pain or anything. And they appeared in Narnia. Or they appeared right there, I think, by the door. Yeah. So at that point, I they was appeared like... appeared by the door. And even, like, Diggory and Polly, who are on the train, they're like, we just felt young. We weren't in pain. Oh, yeah. We weren't stiff anymore. For and sure. It's when like, they said well, that, I was like, they're dead. They're all dead. If you they- didn't figure it out by then, it's then. That's when it's there. Which I could understand as a kid, you might not be putting that together. But at that point, I was like, okay, now it's definitely been confirmed. They're all dead. Which... Okie dokie. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So, as Asia said, the world is ending. Narnia is ending. And I found another incongruity in the plot. If you remember, I found one in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when Narnians all of a sudden started using our calendar, even though in Prince Caspian they clearly don't. But the narrator says that Edmund and Lucy had met a star, because stars are obviously people in the Narnian world. And I was like, they've actually met more than one star. And also, Eustace was there. Eustace, who's one of the main characters of this book, he also met both of the stars, and they didn't mention it. And I was like, did we forget? That Eustace was also on that trip, and that they met two stars, not just one. Anyway, I just, you know, I'll find an incongruity or a mistake. So, anyway, the world is ending, and all the animals come through the door. Like you said, it's Judgment Day. It's literally the second coming of Christ. And basically the worthy creatures are essentially resurrected, because they get to come into... Aslan's country. So it's it's really all right there. And then Aslan even redeems the non-Christians who are good and devoted. And Aslan says Tash is not the same as him. He's the opposite of him in that Aslan is good and Tash is bad. And when people pledge themselves to Tash for the sake of the pledge of, like, making that devotion, they're actually pledging themselves to Aslan. While when people do bad things in Aslan's name, they're actually doing those things for Tash. So, again, another issue of, like, 
C.S. Lewis, like, to me, that's uh, suggesting basically that, you know, the Christian God is the one true God and that any other religion's God is false or essentially like the devil, like the opposite of God. I mean, honestly, to me, that's the least, like, problematic religious portrayal because that's how literally every religion thinks. Like, I, to but me, like, I'm just like, I mean, whether or not I personally... Wrong. But I'm saying that, like, that I feel like is the least objectionable part of what you would call the religious propaganda in here. Because, honestly, I think you're actually... I personally disagree with that interpretation. I think it's much more about, um, like, what he's saying is basically that, like, if you're a good person, you're good in your faith, but you don't have the right information, like, you don't know, you can still be redeemed. Which some but it's faiths, the right information. Why is Christianity seen as the one true religion? But I'm like, saying that if you're only the one true religion because. But I'm like, saying that if you're operating in this situation, which is literally what every religion thinks that their faith is correct, what he, what Aslan is doing in this case is that like Emeth. So Emeth is this Kalorman, but he's actually a good person. He acts in a good way, but he's misguided because he doesn't have the right he's not praying to the right God per se, but because he was a good person, he still gets to go to heaven, which actually is a quite a progressive understanding of religion. Again, I'm not saying I personally agree with that, that like a religious, a religion should just exclude other religions. But like what Aslan is doing is basically like, if you, the equivalent would be like, uh, if, if we all end up dying and it turns out that Christian God is correct, Psych, that was right. Christian God lets, like, Muslims, in this case, go to heaven, Christian heaven, because they were good people. They were devoted to their God, but, okay. Okay, I can understand that. I see that. Like, again, I don't agree with, personally, that paradigm. I know what you're saying, and you're right. There's a bigger issue, so I'll let that one go. (laughs) But I'm saying, like, this is actually the most progressive part of the religious portrayal, is that, like... It doesn't matter who you prayed to. If you are a good person, you are saved. Okay. So, anyway. They go to this big greenhouse. And this is when it becomes a little fantasy. (laughs) Because every named character that we have from all seven books is there. Like, we literally have the first king-queen. We have Fledge. We have Tumnus. We have Reepicheep. Like, Puddle Glum. We have literally all the well, main characters. Well, they are in heaven, so they should all be there. But it's just like, it's such, I don't know, it feels like a little ridiculous to me because it's literally like, just like, we, you know, pulled all the names of important characters. I mean, I mean, it is ridiculous, but. Anyway, they're all not- there. And you did skip something, though, because all the Narnians turn into vampires from Twilight <laughs> with how fast they can run so fast that it feels like they're flying but they don't get tired and they have super vision where they're able to like see things in clear focus from like super far away which i thought was just totally random but they like they run up to the, like the greenhouse they're just running like at super speed like can you imagine like a stampede of people and creatures running through this beautiful country again acid trip right here <laughs> yeah it's a little crazy <laughs> So, yes, they become these superhumans because it's because they're dead. It's because they're dead. And they're able... So they're in this country that, like... They're in this green castle, I guess. That's what I imagine it as. And, like, on one side, they can see Narnia. 
like they can see like the new and improved ghost Narnia. And then they look in the other direction and they can see ghost England and their parents are there because their parents are also dead. And (laughs) they also died in this train accident because apparently they were on the same train and you can literally look and go into ghost England. Like they can literally go anywhere they want, any world because they're now in the afterlife. And as in, he's like, guys, you all died in a train accident, but it's okay because we're all going to live here together in infinite life forever. And that's the end. Okay. Prepare yourselves, listeners. Here comes my rant. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, like Charles just said, which I think is also a good point, Aslan says, like, which Aslan describes, like, these ghosts, the ghost of Narnia, the ghost of England, as better. It's better than the original Narnia. It's a better version. The colors are nicer. Like, everything's better. And so, yes, they are really dead, and it was the railway accident we've said, which... It's really dark for a kid's story, and I have to be honest, I did not imagine when we started this book that at the end all of the children were going to die because this seemed very lighthearted and, or not lighthearted, but just like a sweet children's story. I was not expecting that. Like, it's, It seems low stakes. They're going to their magic kingdom where a magic lion saves them every single time something goes wrong, and they go to go on magical adventures. It feels very low stakes. But... It's the idea of the kids think that Aslan has saved them, which which is problematic, which I have a quote here that Aslan says, and he says, there was a railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. So... Just to compare this to our last series, the Skinjacker trilogy, which also dealt with dealt with children, which also dealt, which also dealt with children dying. Mary, our villain in the story, her rhetoric her rhetoric was that the living world was a dream, or you know, not the important part, and death is where eternal life is, or in her case, specifically an everloss, like not going into the light, and yet, you know. Mary is the villain of her story and Aslan is the savior. And they kind of are bringing up the same ideas of him saying that, you know, your life was a dream and it has ended and now you've woken up and this is your true happy ending. And for me, again, like I said, to me, my biggest issue now with the story is how can it be, this could be a good story for children when it's promoting the idea that your happily ever after doesn't come until after you die and you only get that happy ever after if you're a good Christian because that's the only valid religion, which I guess Charles Charles took away that point because he did say they'll accept you no matter what. As long as you're a good, faithful person to whatever you believe in, if you believe in it truly, you'll be accepted into heaven. Okay. Or as I just want to quickly say, I think that the your point about, like, yes, that this heaven afterlife is better he, like, literally then, describes it as that. That's everything he says is it's better, it's nicer. I mean, he literally described yes, it I as... I don't think it's a fair comparison to Mary, because what Mary is basically saying is that they need to stay in purgatory or this transitory state forever and ever lost. They don't actually go into the light. They don't actually find release. But I'm release. not comparing it in the sense of... I'm more so just comparing it to the idea of they both have the same idea that you have to die to get to something better. That is ultimately what it is. They both feel, whether it's one way or the other, they both feel you have to die to get something better. Like, Aslan, like, these children died. They're what, like, max 16, 17? Like, 
maybe Peter is supposed to be like 18, 19, 20, maybe like in his early 20s. But like these are children and they're dead. Like they no longer live like they're they don't they didn't have a life. They never got to grow up. Yeah, but it wasn't. Again, I don't think it's necessarily accurate in that like to compare to Mary in that she's like, I literally have to end people's lives. I take your point that like the afterlife being better than real life is maybe a toxic view. I, t- I take that. That's I, all I'm I trying accept, to say. I'm not trying to, I'm just I trying, I was that. just giving that as an example since we did just read that book of obviously she okay. was on a much I'm just saying it's not like level. Aslan is going around murdering children. No, but I do think that Aslan is manipulating them into thinking that this is a good thing. Like, I was saying, but it seems like it is a good thing because they literally can run forever. They become vampires, but without having to but drink. But it's blood. not. But I was saying, so like you've been manipulated too, like because to me, like it's Aslan has indoctrinated all of the children in the story into his Christian cult over the course of seven books. He's forced them to trust him so that by the end, the kids, Lucy's even like, he's like, can we stay in Narnia? And he's like, you can stay. You're dead. I got you here. Now you get to stay here forever. Like that. How can that not be like, he's a psychopath. Like that's what I was reading. Aslan's like, I got you here. Now you can stay here forever because you are not alive anymore. Like that's a horror movie. Like, I don't know. To me, this is not at all what I was thinking it was going to end. So to me, it was just so messed up that, you know, this sweet story, which I suspected Aslan from the beginning that he was evil. And I'm obviously not saying that like, this is, like you said, this is not an exact thing to religion because, no, I don't think that, like, Christianity promotes that, like, your life is, like, you should just kill yourself, which, I mean, that's a sin. <laughs> so, but, like, the idea of, like... Yeah, killing yourself is a sin. But to me, the idea that, like, you're, like... I don't know. To me, it was just the idea of, to me, Aslan manipulates them. And this is why I said earlier, though, with Susan, Susan, to me, is the only person who made the right decision because guess what? Out of her whole family... Out of all her cousins and uncles, she's the only person, I mean, that was mentioned in the story. She's the only one still alive. She's the only one who gets to live life, have her own children, like, live. And I guess the idea is, oh, when she dies, if she doesn't come back to some sort of religion, she'll just cease to exist, essentially. But, I don't know. I guess, and you could say, like, oh, they died. It was an accident. So, like. Yeah, I mean. But it's, it's just to me, I like, I just don't understand. Like, they don't even upset. They're not upset at all that they died. They don't even, like, when they see their parents, they're not even upset for a moment, which I guess is the idea of you've been saved. But to me, like, that's a little bit, like, brainwashing. Like, I feel like, I don't know, especially, like, their children, like, they never had a say. They they didn't consent to this. Like, it just. They did have a say because they chose to keep believing when Susan literally took the other option. I think that. I, I mean, I take your point, and I totally agree that, like, people should live their real life on Earth to the First, fullest. like... <laughs> but it's like you said, they died in a train accident. It's not... The book is not promoting, like... I think what could have saved it for me... Death as, like, a great idea. Okay, because like, just for me, at the end of the book, I felt like it reminded me of, like, I don't know, if, like, episodes of SCU or, like, an episode on TV or whatever where it's, like, you know... There's some sort of, like, cult, and the cult leader is, like, has convinced their members, like, to commit a group suicide because, you know, your life's going to be better once they enter death, which that's not what Aslan did. But like I said, to me, he did manipulate the kids into accepting what he's believed and, like, being, like, you know, Narnia's better, like, only letting them come at certain times so much so that they want to keep coming back. And 
Like, I just, he manipulated them to this belief, and then at the end of the story, they die? Like, that's just not at all where I saw the story going. And to me, I was just like, how is that a happy ending? Like, I don't know. They are all dead. Like, yes, I guess they get to live forever in Narnia, but they didn't live at all. And I don't know. To me, what would have saved it, I think, is, I think ultimately the biggest issue is, like, the kids, none of them have any mourning over their lives, like, at all. They're not, they First of all, I mean, they didn't even realize they were dead. And when Aslan says it, they're like, well, it's okay because we get to stay in Narnia forever and our parents are here too. And like, we're just happy-go-lucky forever. And I'm like, well, what about Susan, your sister, who isn't dead? Like, I just, to me, it would have been one thing if, you know, like even a scene with Lucy being like, oh my gosh, you know, like I never got to do all those things I wanted to do when I was alive. Like she never got to grow up and have children. You can't do that in heaven. You're forever 15 years old. She definitely can. But like. in. In this heaven, it seems like they can literally do but everything I'm saying, they want. like, to me, like... No, I take your point. That, it's like, also, like, just the idea of... To me, then, that promotes this idea of people... If you say that, like, beyond death, there's this world where you can do everything you can do in life that you wanted to do, like, how would that not tell kids that, like, well, why am I alive then? Why don't I just die right now and, like, get there? Because that sounds so much better. Like, that's to me where it's, like... That is, like, I understand saying, like, you believe in it so that you can go to that place when you die, but, like, you can't make it sound so good that it's like, well, now I can't wait to get there. You really think people would read this and think that? I'm, I'm, I'm serious, like, I'm just, like... For little kids? For little kids, I would read this and be like, I want to go to Narnia. Like, I'm saying, like, think about it. I want to go to Narnia. I did not want to go to... When they read these books, they would say, I want to go to Narnia, and a little child may not understand this idea of, like, I don't know, to me that would be just such an uncomfortable conversation I have with your child they're like I want to go to Narnia and like they all died so like is that how I get to Narnia and then you have to like explain to your child oh like that's not like I don't know I just to me like that is just such a like I said like what's the moral of the story like to me like also like if he would have just waited like why did he kill them like why did the author C.S. Lewis choose to kill them as children why didn't he let them live their lives like, you know what I mean? To me, it almost seems like they were cursed. Well, Diggory like, and Polly got to live their lives. They got to have kids. Got but to- Diggory and Polly, like, were not the main characters. I'm talking about the Pevensey children and even Eustace and Jill. They were children. Like, they didn't get to live. They didn't get to do anything that they wanted to do. And, like, if you're saying, well, they can do that in heaven, then that's promoting the same idea of, like, oh, well, then just die. Yeah, I guess. I'm, I, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not defending the idea that, like, go to the afterlife it's gonna be great i'm just saying that i don't see how there's a happy ending where like the kids are happy to be dead like i don't know to me that's like very odd <laughs> okay I, I i take that point i i do i agree that like if i was writing this i would have them be like at least briefly in mourning like or in like in fighting to accept their deaths that's what I'm saying. I think if they would have at least, like, mourned their lives and Aslan's like, it's okay, like, because, you know, you've had faith, you get to be, you get to spend the rest of your life here in Narnia, in England, with the people you love. So it's kind of like, okay, she died, but because she was a good Christian and, like, had faith, everything turned out okay. But it was kind of like, But the like, fact that me, they're literally like, we get to just do whatever we want forever and ever. We're like, they're like, yay, we get to stay in Narnia forever. Like, who cares that we're dead? Like, to me, that was just like, it was like uncomfortable. Like, I felt like, I felt like weird. Like, it's felt like celebratory of death, which like, I just okay, didn't I definitely understand. didn't feel like, that. I, like, I understand why you're saying that, but I didn't feel that at all. 
But you wouldn't have felt that way because you knew it was going to happen and you said you've read this 15 times and you have the nostalgia and you've liked it since you were a child. So you obviously aren't going to have that perspective coming from where I had no idea how this was going to end. And I'd already said, like, to me, like, there's definitely, like, it's Christian propaganda, which is fine. It's a, like, it's a story based on Christianity. But this is not at all where I thought it was going to... I did not expect the children. I did not expect them as children to die. Also because if they're such good Christians, why did God kill them? Like, so young. Like, why? Like, they were such good... Essentially such good people, such good believers. Why were they killed so young? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we... You know, you tell yourself you be a, to try to be a good person. Like, obviously accidents happen, but... I don't know. I just... Yeah. It, it was just, the message to me, I feel like, was lost on, like, I just didn't really see at the end, like, what was I supposed to think? Like, they were so good, so therefore they deserved to die so that they could go to Narnia because Narnia is better. Like, I'm saying, like, that's what I'm getting, which maybe it's because I am, like, obviously thinking about it way more deeply as an adult and, like, what these hidden messages mean, whereas, like, as a kid, you would just be like, hop, whatever, and, like, move on. But... I just feel like if I would have read this as a kid, like, I feel like I would have been confused on what the message was. Like, because, yeah, they were good. They were supposed to be good kids. Why did they die? Accidents. And why was it made to be a good thing? But why was it made to be a good thing? Like, we're happy. Like, you should feel happy that they died at the end because now they get to be in Narnia forever. Like, I feel like that's weird. Like, I shouldn't be happy that they're dead. I guess. I. You know? Yeah, I take your point. I, I agree with that point that, like, it's a little weird that there's no... There's no grieving process. I take that. I agree with that. My, I wish, though, that when we read this, we'd never discussed the first time you read it, we hadn't talked about the fact that it's full of Christian imagery. I wonder if you would have liked it better. I knew it was about Christian imagery, though. You didn't have to tell me that, because I've seen the movies. Okay. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if, like, my mom and I talked about it, because my mom listens to the show, and said, like, when Aslan, like, again, dies for Edmund or whatever, it's very clearly Jesus. So you didn't have to tell me that. I would have... I wouldn't, I knew that it was a, I mean, that's a pretty, I feel like, well-known thing about Narnia is that it is very Christian. So I think that, yeah, I was already swayed. It wasn't from you. I was like, you would have been, like, because you would be predisposed to not like it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I said that from the beginning. (laughs) I said that I was predisposed to not like it because I have issues with that. But ultimately, I just, yeah, I don't know. To me, like I said, I would... I wouldn't recommend it for kids. I wouldn't, but... Oh, I will definitely... If I mean, if I have children, they will definitely be reading these books. I definitely would not. I mean, like I said, I won't stop my kids from doing anything. If they're going to read it, I'm not going to be like, they're not allowed to read it. I would just definitely want to... But it's the same way, like... That's what we got to do, you know, in 15 years, whenever we have children, we'll we'll do a test run on them and see what they think. Don't tell them anything about the book. Let them read it and let them come to their own conclusions and be like, what did you think? What did what was the message you got from that? I guarantee you the children are not gonna be like, death is good. They're not gonna be like, thank God. Like they're not gonna I also just wonder too, like, if you as a child, like if you weren't raised like religious or Christian, like if you would really pick up on the stories. Cause obviously like through like school and just life, like even if you weren't raised religious, like you know some of the stories, like so you would pick up on it. But like as a kid, if you're young and you haven't been exposed to that yet. You wouldn't know. Yeah, I wonder. Because, like, obviously I was raised in a Christian household. I mean, not, like, we were not, we're not, like, 
super pious. But I'm sure when you like, read this, like you Christian. picked up on some of like the but imagery and like stuff. I did go to church every Sunday, so I I knew a lot of the stories. But I guess well, it's an experiment we'll have to do sometime in the future. I guess. <sighs> but uh, I think that's it. I think that wraps up the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you have any anything else you want to say? I feel like you got I feel like you got your vent out. I think I got it out. I, I am really curious for any of our listeners to please reach out and let us know what you think because I think this is one that Charles and I feel really differently about it. Um, which I do think is again, Charles, it's a reread, me it's a new read, so obviously that already sets you up to have a different opinion. But I'm curious for anyone out there who has read this before or this is your first time hearing about these books, even if you didn't read with us what you thought and what you think. Cause I, it's just interesting to hear other people's opinions. Yeah. And like, obviously the overt, the imagery is Christian, the it is overt Christian imagery. Do you think it's propaganda or do you think it's like, do you think it's a toxic portrayal of faith or do you think it's in like, what do you think? Basically, what are your thoughts on our conversation about this series? Yeah. So let us know what you think, listener, and like give us some context on what you, on your experience of it. So I think it's time to move on. Next, we're going to be doing another unit of sad realistic fiction, covering one book per week. And we'll be covering all of John Green's book, Looking for Alaska, next week. And the week after that, we'll be covering The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold. So just go ahead and plan your reading accordingly. Some of these books are um, a little more adult in content so if you are a listener like under the age of 18 maybe check with your parents first before reading this and like maybe read a plot synopsis before diving into these books we'll do appropriate trigger warnings if there's something at the top of each episode and in the episode description if it's necessary but i do believe that these books are going to be a little heavier and they're going to deal with some heavier things so definitely read a plot synopsis because I believe that there's some sexual violence and other stuff. Am I covering everything, Asia? Yes, that's correct. So definitely check for trigger warnings if it's not a safe topic for you. But like Charles said, we will definitely be giving proper trigger warnings before each of those episodes so you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And if you are a listener under 18, please consult with your parents before reading the next few books just because... And listening to the episodes. And listening to the episodes. But like... Just because this might be something that your parents actually want to talk to you about, and that's awesome. Like, but just be cautious because they are going to be heavier. And with that, we are all done. So if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or you want to talk to us about Narnia, give us your final thoughts. Remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at Join Nerd Party or on Instagram at The Nerd Party or Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. And to find me, I'm at Asia.Bonia on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm at Seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this, make sure you rate and review our show, share it with your friends or someone that you think would enjoy it. And check out the other podcasts we have within our Nerd Party network and subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We will see you next week.
Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.